1: For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Walter Moore. He is co-founder, CEO, and CTO of Cognitive Harmony Technologies. He's also co-founder and president of Perception Farms, we're going to talk to him about the world of cannabis, about the world of helping companies, helping applicants achieve licenses, get businesses up and running in the cannabis space. We're going to talk about some social equity and how that's working out in the cannabis space, and just generally what Walter is seeing. In cannabis and business, a couple of these interesting states that are coming online, and to so where the opportunities are, where the challenges are, kind of what's working, what's not in some of these states. I'm excited for the conversation. Walter's got some interesting background and gives him some interesting perspective on what's going on. So, with all that, Walter, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks, Bruce. I Appreciate the uh, the wonderful introduction. <laughs>
1: it's been great to have you on. Before we dive into what you're doing today with both these companies, uh, give us a little background. How did you get into cannabis? How did you get into business? What's the backstory?
0: Yeah, sure. So I, a long time ago in a galaxy far away, uh, (laughs) was a bike mechanic in a bike shop on the north side of Spokane, Washington state. And I didn't really have much of a career trajectory, but I was a, a good at problem solving. And so I was a bike mechanic and I was in my early twenties. And I also was a cannabis connoisseur mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, uh, at that point in time, Washington had not legalized yet. And, uh, I was a, also a entrepreneur in a, in a black market. So I was, I was growing cannabis mm-hmm. in my house and, uh, I ended up getting busted for growing yep. and it was sort of a, a life changing event for me. You know, it, it definitely gave me a new perspective on things, but I didn't stop my appreciation for cannabis, but I stopped participating in the black market because it was, it was really impacting my ability to develop the kind of life that I wanted to to develop. And so I went back to school, you know, I really w- was not a performer in, um, in high school and, and junior high, even though I was, I was probably capable of it, mm-hmm. um, but I decided, you know, after talking to a friend that was an attorney, he said, you know, show the show the system that you're making changes with your life and you're 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 not going to go down this uh, path and you're going to reform. And that's the, your best path toward um, doing. It. So I had a lot of support. Mm-hmm. I had a Good. support network that helped me through this. My boss also you know, helped me at the time get past go over this road bump. Um, mm-hmm. he, he was the one who I was renting from. In a place where I got busted, <laughs> and so I had a really hard conversation. Oh yeah, uh, that I had to—that's a tough one. Have with him when I got out of jail <laughs> and went up to his house and say, "Hey, dude, I just got busted growing weed in your house, and yeah. now I'm trying to fix all this stuff." Yeah. So, you know, I I sort of put on my you know the humble hat and tried to get as much of a support network as I could around me yeah. to try to to try to grow past uh, this this event Mm -hmm. and not, you know, I, I realized in the process of doing that, I was extremely lucky, lucky to have that um, support network. Yeah. And I went from that into community college. I went back to community college in Spokane, Washington, and I became a music major. Interesting. And, uh, and I, you know, I've always been a, a musician and I, I, I've, I've always loved playing music. I thought that's what I, what I could to um, move forward from this, and so I studied music for maybe a year, and in the process, started getting more interested in kind of the the deep mathematical and philosophical underlyings and underpinnings of music. So I, I started taking math classes, just you know, one at a time, and mm-hmm. I started cranking through math. And I realized I was actually pretty good at it, even though I had failed in, <laughs> in high school. Um, and so I, I continued teaching myself through the community college system. And eventually, you know, knocked out the whole math curriculum, knocked out the whole physics curriculum, and, and then decided, you know, I'm going to see if I can get into a four-year college. So I started applying all the way, all around the, the world, or the country, I should mm-hmm. say. And um, at the time, I was dating the woman who's now my wife, who was from Chicago? Okay, and so you know she was moving away. She had, was doing a residency in in Spokane at the VA hospital there. She moved back to Chicago, and so I thought, oh, you know, I'll see if uh, I can apply there. So I applied at Loyola University Chicago and a sure. bunch of other schools here, and I got a grant from Loyola for the theoretical physics and applied math program. Transferred into that program and ended up marrying the woman who, <laughs> who uh, was sort of the, my only connection to Chicago after uh, moving here and, and getting that degree. And uh, I thought after graduating from uh, undergrad that I was going to become an academic. So I, I transferred into uh, the physics PhD program at mm-hmm. uh university of Illinois at Chicago and was in that program for the better part of a year. And Sort of was looking at the timeline and the, the career opportunities that I would have at that point in time and looking at the whole concept of building a family and all of that and decided to switch into a business program. Okay. Uh, and so I, I went from University of Illinois into Illinois Tech uh, the okay. The Stewart School of Business, and got a, a master's degree. Spent like five years working on a master's degree in uh, financial engineering. And the reason I took five years is because after a year of being in the program, I got picked up by a firm that hired me as a financial engineer, and I started building software and getting and getting really becoming involved with the, with the company. Yeah, and um, my ability to participate in the programs slowed down and. It just drug it out for five years, and <laughs> and uh, but you know I learned I was at the time I was learning more at work than I was at school.
1: Yeah, about, for, about happens, um, yeah.
0: prop trading, you know, uh, financial engineering, coding. I, I was teaching myself to program at the time and ended up transferring in that position as a, a financial engineer, becoming head of the financial engineering department at this trading firm after a couple years, and. Then going through a couple acquisitions where I um, was becoming more of a software engineer than a, than a financial engineer. And taking on more and more responsibility for managing the, the platform that we're developing for, you know, all the automation of these these trades. But I yeah. learned a ton about business process automation. Uh, you know, of course, there's the high frequency domain of, of oh, yeah. you know, trying to trade fast, right? But mm-hmm. we actually made most of our money trading slow. <laughs> but we were doing both. Yeah. And um, the slow trades were these large, uh, they're like structured uh, term-structured derivatives for the agricultural industry, like a, a, a soybean farmer in mm-hmm. in uh, South America might want to lock in on a price that they're going to sell their crop at for the next two years, and they'd work with traders in Chicago to do that. Got it. And so then I was building the systems that would price these structured components yep. off of the markets and, and make a market for them. And eventually I, I sort of became a little bit nihilistic about trading and <laughs> private, private equity and um you wouldn't be the first <laughs> and decided well i'm gonna try something else so then i i got involved with my first startup which was just me and three other individuals it was a high frequency trading startup but we also did some crypto mining and trading mm-hmm. but it was more of the same you know it was money making money for yeah. money, money's sake and getting an roi and that's all great but i was kind of sick of it yeah and so then i moved to ad tech thinking i was like liberating myself from <laughs> from the dogma of um money and it was more and i spent five years learn from the pan to the fire yeah learning that it was more of the same but um you know it's different because the market is the attention market and not the financial market mm-hmm. and and the commoditization of attention is a really interesting phenomenon i i really i think benefited hugely from learning about the not only the concept but the entire ecosystem around it i worked primarily on the uh what i would consider the crm slash dmp side of the problem where i was writing code that was distributed globally and would collect events and bring them back to the this giant data cluster, one of the the largest data clusters of its type. And this was at a company called Epsilon um, and who was recently, within the last couple of years, purchased by Publicis Media, which is like a media behemoth. And but we became their kind of like, you know, the main engine for doing all of their, um, you know, their digital ad work right but um, I, I was mostly involved with the data plumbing data cleaning and and normalization and getting the identity stable and tracked across devices and and then aggregating that back into the central repository where all of the you know analytics and the decision sciences part of it would take place and it was about that time that weed was legalized here in illinois i was at a, a party with my my buddy from college who uh, is a, is a theoretical physicist at Northwestern university. <laughs> um, and he uh, and I were hanging out, you know, we were consuming some cannabis and uh, we are talking about the recent passage of of the law here in Illinois. And we thought, you know, hey, if you, if Now's two, <laughs> if two guys like us can't figure this out, then it's something seriously wrong. Like we figured out a lot of hard problems in our lives. This can't be that bad. Yeah. Um, and then, we,
1: words. and then we, and then
0: we spent the next three years proving to ourselves that we had no idea what we were getting ourselves <laughs> into, right? Um, which was waiting out the money machine. <laughs> Yeah. That that um has pretty much had Illinois in the bag already for the next three years, and nobody yeah. knew it, right? Yeah. So you know, now we're we're th- you know three years downstream from that, we've waited it out and scraped by, and and luckily we didn't have leases, we didn't have you know we we saw that this could be a long mm-hmm. uh, hard battle. We put in five applications in Illinois. We interviewed. Wow. Over a hundred social equity applicants and we developed five separate teams for uh, the retail applications and, and then one team for the craft grow application okay. and, we, and we submitted them all and, and developed them all for about hundred thousand dollars total, which is pretty good you know to, yeah. uh, per application if you look at there are there are consulting firms that will charge you in Illinois. Uh, 200 to 250 grand for a single application, especially if it comes with uh even a single viable um you know social equity strategy, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But and so we sort of home did a homegrown incubator, and, and that's that was the result was Perception Farms, and uh, that is an ongoing project. We're we're very bullish on you know the prospects of Illinois in the, in the next few years, and one interesting thing, if you look at the reports that have come out from the state, is everybody's still trying to get into the Chicago market, but you know you're seeing uh, if you look at the licenses per number of individuals uh, or per capita, yeah, it's getting pretty tight there, and all the money's being made outside of Cook County. <laughs> and, and and so everybody's going for the brand play and the visibility of the large uh, mm. sector and you know there's a, still a ton of opportunities outside of cook county and so you know that's really where we're where we're focused is um on making this the engine that can drive additional incubation of licenses in illinois and and in other states as we try to grow the brand but we're we're trying to focus on the in, you know mvp strategy for mm-hmm for Perception Farms. But in the process of of building this incubator, we we identified a lot of problems that um, were clearly opportunities for automation. One of the, the things that we found is we went through five rounds of deficiency processes with the state of Illinois, where they would say, there's something wrong with your app, and they'd tell us and thousands of other applicants and they'd say, go find it, right? They'd yeah. give you n- not really much more than that. Yeah. And and so we went through that a couple times, pulling our hair out, and then they'd come back and say, you know, go find it again. And uh, it and it wasn't clear whether or not you found the things the last time they were asking you to find no, the it. They found new things. Yeah. Now there are new things. or uh, And I think in one of the rounds, the state admitted that they, like, actually lost track of the, <laughs> one of the previous. I mean, we, don't, we don't remember what it was. Yeah, and oh, and, and they're asking for you to, to, to respond as though you you hadn't responded before, essentially. Um, and then finally, in the, in the later rounds, they started giving hints, like, um, these are what we were looking for, you know, in general. But in that process, I put my engineer's hat on and said, yep. okay, well, Let's go through the the statutes and the rules and the regulations. Let's find all of the statutory citations that we we know we need. And let's use technology, modern technology. So I'm using AWS Mm -hmm. uh, services to to scan pdfs that we generated search through them for citations that we know are supposed to be there and make sure that they're popping up because we knew that the company uh who was scoring all the applications in illinois whose name is kpmg <laughs> we we knew that they had some sort of automated component so yeah, we we're trying to look. reproduce that and we knew that there was also a, a manual component to some of it but um so we focused on that problem. We were able to reproduce the KPMG scores within you know, 5% or so. Um, hmm. And so we, th- we knew we were on to something interesting. And in the process, we built a tool. And that tool then... We started sh- you know, showing some friends of ours. We we're At the time, we were working with Harvest 360, yep. Justice Grown, and um, a sort of uh, group that was put together by Representative LaShawn Ford. And so we teamed forces with these three groups, and we came up with a solution, uh, and we call that solution CHT, which is Cognitive Harmony Technologies, Got and it. it's... It's two things. Cognitive harmony technologies is a backronym, which is THC backwards. Yeah, yeah. And then it's also you know the it's sort of the uh, answer to cognitive dissonance, right? It's uh, cognitive dissonance is what happens when you your system does not make logical sense, and, yeah. and cognitive harmony something is, doesn't compute yeah. is when yeah. everything meshes and flows like it's supposed to. Uh, and okay. so, um, so we started cognitive harmony technologies, and as part of this, this task force put together by LaShawn Ford we scored a, a number of groups applications with our software and gave them score reports and and helped the other teams quickly dial in on where the problems were in those applications and fix them yeah and and that was the, the the catalyst for CHT. and then since then we've built a lot more tools that really that that the the scoring problem is useful if you you know if you don't know what what was missing in your application, but yeah. what we where we really want to get to is where people are are able to easily and without a lot of you know capital expenditure put together a solid application, like you would if you were you know when you're using TurboTax you don't worry about whether or not it you know, all your points are there or whatever, <laughs> like you're assuming they're going to take care of that for you. Yeah. And so, you know, we realized that there's two ways to use a checklist. One is before, after the fact, and to try to figure out what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure, you could throw the infinite monkeys and write gobbledygook. And if you have infinite amount of time, that strategy would find you a perfect application. Mm-hmm. But the right way to use it is to have it be the starting point of the application process. And so we've developed a, a platform at CHT, which is based on a system of checklists that walk the users through all the, uh, for instance, if you have a, a plan for um, a recall event plan, mm-hmm. um, we have checklists that walk through the users through all of the individual components that need to be in that plan to be compliant. And then we also have a template that generates a for the user a compliant de facto plan. They just fill out some some meta information and it templates it out and then puts it in a, a zip folder for them. And so we can through a series of of checklists build up the application package for the user so they can download it and go to the state portal and, and move the documents over. So that's the the high level vision. And like I, I was saying early on, we're a, a lean startup mm-hmm. and so you know we're really focused on on what are the problems that our customers and our, our clients are having in the process and how do we automate a solution for them and or provide a solution for them that gets the job done. And yeah. without we've got a, a big bag of of tools available to us that I have developed at a company for the last couple of years and have just developed IP for in the last few years of of doing incubations with other companies. And so we're really now focused on interviewing people, getting them in cohorts, walking them through the process of building an application, which can take eight weeks or so, yeah. and then and then showing them how our tools are, are going to make it easy to maintain that application going forward and um, improve it and through deficiency rounds and then um, be used to convert into a fully operational license and then be used beyond that for doing compliance audits and, and uh, renewal processes and everything else. And yeah. so so we're looking at the long-term relationship with our users and really getting involved up front with the application process so that they're successful and then going back and building tools to make it easier each step and iterate each step yeah. of the way.
1: We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. I'm curious. So it's clear that you've been able to kind of apply your kind of you know computer science, math, very analytical thinking to kind of the problem and what needs to get developed and automating and standardizing. Where have been some of the challenges in terms of operating, doing all this inside cannabis? Like where where have you kind of had to flex, or yeah. you know, where has this not worked?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, advertising is challenging, uh-huh. and you know that is something we've got focus on right now because if we're having the problem everyone's having it uh-huh. <laughs> and you know for instance linkedin is a great place to interact with cannabis because you know you're interacting in a as a business to business relationship and uh and there's other areas you know i know that there's there are networks that have emerged which claim to have solved this problem but you know re- really the 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 advertising a lot of times is hyper local. And we're definitely trying to bring a, a vetted set of service providers and, and uh, resources to our users and get them contextually embedded where they actually are helpful mm-hmm. rather than just spamming everybody with the same set of vendors. Uh, when we have these checklists, they're highly detailed, right? You're getting down into the nitty gritty with this specific um, statute, you know, you Your security system needs to have timestamps in this area of the screen, right? And then right embedded there will be a security vendor that can actually actually help you execute that um, statute, right? Whereas in the majority of the platforms that I've seen out there for cannabis business, there's no way to do that that level of contextual targeting. And so that, that's an area where I think uh, we've run into problems. And we, we don't, you know, you go to trade shows is, is a good place. We yeah. want to k- sort of say, okay, the trade shows are, you know, the chances that your ideal customer is going to walk in front of you or your, um, the ideal service, you're going to walk by them and figure it out at a trade show. There's too much distraction. And it's not focused on the problem that you have, which is how do I get from here to operating yeah. And, um, and we sort of linearize that process and will help you know, make the individual um, referrals possible at each step of the way. And, um, and so you know, that, that's, that's kind of one area I see is a big issue. The other area is you know, the thing we were talking about, the, the state has a social equity mandate. And then on the other end of the extreme, they have a mandate to create safe products. Uh, Mm -hmm. if you look at what's going on in new york right now we were there for a trade show over the summer and and you know you go down to times square and there's kids selling like gallon bags of joints on the street oh yeah for uh and who knows where that product is coming from exactly there's no testing involved and you know it's a really serious kind of uh, public health issue and so you know that is and and i'm sure the state of new york is going to fix this <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. through the card process and, and in their approach to licensing. But it's kind of the, the polar opposites what happened here in Illinois, which was a very reserved, measured, slow, painful rollout. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, the aims of both social equity and achieving safety, product safety, are somewhat in contrast with each other. And they're made even more so when it's extremely expensive to be safe. Yeah. And so so we're definitely also focused on how we're creating a bridge between these two things. Part of it is just less gatekeeping and I I applaud, you know, if you look at most of the point of sale vendors they're getting much better about making all of their standard operating procedures kind of open. Mm-hmm. And, and make them available to users. But that's just one small slice of the application. There's still a ton of gatekeeping with security protocols and things, especially when there's a lot of invested in customizing it for each state. Yeah. And we're trying to crack that open and say, you know, most entrepreneurs could afford maybe a couple hundred bucks a month to have access to this stuff ongoing. And uh, it would be a huge boon to social equity. Uh, so that's, that's that's the second area. I, I'm sure I can come up with a third one if yeah. we, if we want.
1: But how are you dealing with the state to state stuff? So I mean, obviously, you know, you're getting you're getting deep in the rags, right? And you're yeah. you're you're creating checklists. You're providing, you know guiding people in terms of how to execute and how to operate these companies. How like as you go from state to state, even county to county? I mean, I I, I guess how localized does this have to get, and how are you managing yeah. that?
0: So the local. I guess there's two problems there. the The local problem of local municipalities is as unique as the local municipalities, and so some, especially the bigger ones, are going to be a a pretty close mapping from the state rigs. But some of the smaller ones are going to be, you know, as unique as as whoever's you know dangling some uh, a big facility build out in front of them or or something like that. And, uh, and so we, we are able to, to do all the same capabilities that we can do at the state level at the local municipal level. But we haven't opened up that can of worms yet. But we've got the schema for it. We've got the, you know, the platform is capable of it. Yeah. What we're focused on first is getting into every state that's legalized. And okay. uh, once we're there, then we will be looking at the major local municipality markets. And then for anything that is um, that is uh, not a major market, we definitely want to be able to help people either crowdsource the information that they need for those local markets or get people references to experts in those local markets. Got it. So that's where, you know, referral implementations will matter. We can get mm-hmm. people referred at the state level. I'm um, also we have on our roadmap basically a chat group chat for each state or even each checklist in each state mm-hmm. so that the users can help each other find the resources that they need and, you know, deep link each yeah. other to information within our platform and elsewhere. Interesting. And so we're, we're thinking about attacking the local municipal problem from multiple uh, multiple angles. The biggest problem seems to be typically locations real estate and funding and uh, you know those are Not both surprising. pretty local right I mean yeah. uh, unless you have the local political relationships and you know the ability to to flip one of the 70% of municipalities in New Jersey that hasn't opted in yet mm-hmm. um, you know you don't it's you don't really have an application and so we're also you know looking at that side of things how do we um, how do we determine where the the biggest opportunities are in in a um, in a state right now, and one of the main things we look at is the ratio of you know licenses per unit of population. And I've yet to see a good open source, um, uh, publicly available source for that information. You know, yeah. Um, so you know, we have a lot of cool tools like that on our roadmap as well. But the basic the basic uh, offering is is really state. Focused right now, and we have standard operating procedures that are we're ready to execute to get into every other state within the next year, um, and it's it's going to take us about a better part of you know two weeks per state of okay. of real work with a team of you know four or five people focused on it full time. Yeah, and how
1: would have been the big uh, kind of obstacles or challenges bottlenecks for you uh, from a company point of view? Like, has it been talent? Has it been Access to money. What's the what's been the gating factor for your growth?
0: Yeah, I think um, part of it is you know the learning how to how to uh, properly steer a business as yes. a CEO. You know, I it, there's a lot of Dunning Kruger effect <laughs> going on when you're like uh, you know you've done something complicated uh, or it took. A lot of work. I'm like I come from a background that's highly technical, and I, yeah. I come into business. I think I can figure all this. I can stuff out. this out, right? And then you start getting, <laughs> uh, you know, letters from different uh, state agencies saying you didn't create your company correctly, or you know, who knows what, right? <laughs> exactly. And then you, you you start you start seeing the lawyer bills oh, yeah. spin up, and uh-huh. you're te- you know getting your technology costs under control. So I think the biggest thing I um, and why I originally said i'm i'm really focused on the lean startup is because the most important thing to me is solving problems that customers or clients actually have right and making sure that i'm not treating every every problem like a like a nail just because i have a hammer yeah and and then set the second biggest uh, challenge is transitioning from there to you know Funding in order to scale the idea out, right, and gaining enough traction to demonstrate that, especially in a in a situation where pretty much everyone is is talking about how tight cash is, right? Yeah. So that's definitely you know a challenge. One of the big challenges for us, and you know we're always talking with uh, investors and uh, and financial sources in order to you know continue to build and and develop what we're doing. But I think at this point, you know, we're we're really gaining enough. Traction to where we can do this whole thing organically, and that's where I'd prefer to be. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um, but it does take money to to make money, right? And so, it in a cash constrained environment, especially in cannabis, right? Because yeah. everybody's afraid of uh, when banking reform is is going to happen this year or three, five years from now, okay. on, yeah. and, and when are the tax bills going to come due to all these MSOs, and what's that going to do to Capital, I at this Benzinka Capital conference, you know, mm-hmm. you have, you have, um, everybody wants to, to lend you a month of revenue at f- a forty percent interest rate, <laughs> and it's like, are you serious? <laughs> right now, they are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so you know, that, that to me, that's not a viable, a viable business model. That's no. just they're yeah. preying on on uh, yeah, these exactly MSOs that. that have are overextended and and need the liquidity.
1: Yeah. Fascinating. Walter, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about the work that you're doing, what's the best way to get that information?
0: Absolutely, uh, come visit us at www.cognitiveharmony.tech. That is the, the fastest way to get a hold of me and my team, mm-hmm. and and we have uh, you can actually schedule a meeting with us right from the site, and we can we can uh, bring you in if you're interested in a scholarship for one of our cohorts to get through the licensing process. We have one open now for another, I think, couple weeks before we close it for New Jersey. But we'll be continuing to do this from state to state. So keep an eye on what we're doing. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the best way to contact us.
1: Perfect. I'll put that information in the show notes so people have that. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Bruce. Thank you for your time. And thank you for all the great questions.
1: That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes.